whether it's a wave, whether it's your boss coming in to call you on something, whether it's you know a bad uh, test score or a race result, there's something that is going to be challenging. It's going to heighten our level of anxiety, stress, doubt, fear. And in those moments, you can find calm. And that same thing applies when you're in the ocean, feeling the intensity and power of the ocean as it crashes upon the shore and trying to work your way through it and with it, not against it. Because it's really, it's really there to support you if you just, first of all, get calm, but, but stop efforting so hard. Let the, let the waves come in, let them go over you, and then continue on your way out. So yeah, I think one thing to get calm right now is just take a deep breath. You know, work on breathing, um, diaphragmatic breathing. Breathe in for a count of three, out for a count of six, and practice that every day from now until Oceanside. Words are powerful. Words are things. Thoughts are things. They're things. They're affecting how your life is playing out. Nobody told us how, how much say we have in how our life plays out. Words are one of those. So if you're calling it the dreaded hill and you just want some extra suck and suffering that day, then keep it. If you're looking for a little more ease and power in your life, then I would seriously look at what the opposite of the word dreaded is and start calling it that and etch some positive grooves into your mind for the experience ahead. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess. I'm here with Beej. And this is our monthly O Show. We are dedicating this show to Oceanside 70.3, the Ironman that is coming up here in less than seven weeks. Less than seven weeks. So that's like, oh my God, less than seven weeks. But it's also plenty of time. And we have awesome questions. This is going to be my first Oceanside 70.3, which I'm really excited about. I've been spectating it since we've lived here in Southern California and I just had to put my name in. So um, there's a lot about this course that I don't know, namely the bike course, because uh, one of the unique things about this is that you really can't preview the whole course and a huge part of it because it takes place on Camp Pendleton, which is a marine base. And so thank you, U.S. government, for letting us go on the base. I hear it's gorgeous back there and we're psyched to dive in. We've got awesome questions. Thank you, everybody who sent in questions. And then we also have uh, some sage advice from the lovely Sabrina Houston, who is our Ironman Oceanside 70.3 race director. And we're going to wrap up the show with that advice. So Beach, you psyched to jump in on this one? I am. I am. I'm running through my head right now. You're saying it's your first. I can't recall if this is my third or my fourth Oceanside. Because we did it the one year we volunteered the day before. And that wasn't a very good race for me. Uh, then I want to say I did it again. And then last year was my third time. I'm not sure. It's either I three think, or four times. I think this is your third time. You think this is my third time? Yes, I do. All right. That's what I think. Um, the biggest bummer about racing 
Oceanside when you go my pace as I'm going to miss the entire pro race. Jan Fredino's final 70.3. I mean, the pro yeah. race is just so stacked and it's always incredible to see these superhuman masters out there doing their craft and I'm going to miss that because I'm going to be mastering my own craft that day. And so thank goodness that uh, it'll be recorded and I'll be able to tune in to that um, maybe on outside TV if they're still doing that. All right. I think we should dive into questions. What do you think? For sure. Do but you since have... you mentioned the outside TV, I highly recommend mm. that if you haven't watched last year's race on outside TV, you know, get get a month membership or whatever, borrow it from a friend. Um, but go watch the Oceanside race. It's really important. It, it really gives you the perspective of how transition is laid out, how the swim format it plays out, how the waves from the athlete's perspective and the overhead of how you go from the beach into the harbor uh, as well as the other things, the bike. It actually gives you a really good perspective of the bike, which we never get to see. So I don't want to get too far ahead, but if you do have a chance to check out Oceanside 70.3 from 2022 on Outside TV, I strongly recommend uh, viewing that in its entirety. All right, cool. Well, let's start with the questions we have on the swim We've got two questions. Uh, we'll start with Valerie's question and then Ryan's question, and they're pretty much about the same thing. So let's start with Valerie. The question is, how to stay calm in unpredictable conditions with the surf entry at Oceanside, especially with the double set of waves breaking there? You think you're through it, but wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah, if you're, if you're considering practicing calm... When you get to the race start, you, you, you're setting yourself up for not being calm. <laughs> calm starts right now. Uh, there's things you can work on outside of actually being in the ocean that will allow you to use some tools, and I'm sure you want to chime in here too, that can bring you to a sense of calm when things are chaotic. So whether it's a wave whether it's your boss coming in to call you on something, whether it's you know a bad uh, test score or a race result, there's something that is going to be challenging that's going to heighten our level of anxiety, stress, doubt, fear. And in those moments, you can find calm. And that same thing applies when you're in the ocean, feeling the intensity and power of the ocean as it crashes upon the shore and trying to work your way through it and with it, not against it. Because it's really, it's really there to support you if you just, first of all, get calm, but, but stop efforting so hard. Let the, let the waves um, come in, let them go over you, and then continue on your way out. So... Yeah, I think one thing to get calm right now is just take a deep breath, you know, work on breathing, um, diaphragmatic breathing. Breathe in for a can of three, out for a can of six, and practice that every day from now until Oceanside. Especially if you're driving, if um, 
or if you're not driving and you're just in an intense situation or something is being stirred up inside, practice that. It's a simple tool. Breathe in for a count of three and out for a count of six. That's something you won't be able to do on race while you're racing in the ocean, but it can begin to prepare your body to find calm when the, the intensity of the situation is overpowering. Yes, yes. Do not wait until race day to be calm. That's not going to work. Calm equals invincibility. You can go anywhere from calm. It is a very, very, if not the most powerful state of being that you can be in. Bruce Lee said it was a superpower. Calm is a superpower. Yeah. And what we've been taught is that when we are calm, we are invincible. It's a practice. Calm is a muscle you must flex. And if you have any sort of doubt about getting through the swim, nervousness about the waves, um, not secure or confident in your swim training, calm is going to help you with all of these things. The breath is our greatest interface to our nervous system. When you're standing there and you're looking at the waves and chances are there's going to be surf and it's going to be powerful that day. There's a reaction in your nervous system that says there is a threat because you guys, there is a threat. The ocean is really strong. She can swallow you up. Calmness is going to give you that power to remain in a relaxed, powerful state where your heart rate is not skyrocketing, your nervous system is not going into a panic mode where it feels that death is imminent and where you're just going to be in a fight or a flight. You know, you just run to your car. You're like, that's it. I'm not doing this. Or the other state is freeze where you just, you just don't know what to do. So if you can start practicing being masterful with your breath, meaning control your breath. If you have noticed, you don't need to be in control of your breath as you go throughout your day. It's an automatic process. Thank goodness. Because the lack of presence that is epidemic in the human race, we would never remember to breathe. Some of us don't even remember to eat. So... By practicing being in control of your breath. So in yoga, we call it pranayama. And that translates to life force management. Like you are in charge of your life force. And that's what the ocean is. The ocean is a life force. That's it. You are not separate from that ocean. That same life force that powers that ocean is within you. So using your breath will begin to allow you to slow down. Meaning, it doesn't mean you're going to be slower on the bike or slower on the swim or slower on the run. It means that everything you do will have more quality and value 
and there will be left, there will be less of, of, oh my God, I forgot to do that. Oh my God, I have to do this. Oh my God, I can't believe I left that candle burning. Oh my God, I didn't bring my goggles to race day. All of those things that, that are just an energy suck, those will be few and far between when you practice breathing deliberately on a regular basis. So the relaxing breath that BJ just offered in for three, out for six, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Because the exhale is governed by our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our calming nervous system. So if you want to be calm, I highly recommend practicing um, breath work that yields a calm result. Another great one is in for four, hold for seven, out for eight. Not only is this a relaxing breath, but this is something that's going to strengthen your breathing muscles. So breathing is a muscular action. And if you think about your lungs, your heart, those things are smooth muscle. They're not skeletal muscle. So skeletal muscle are the muscles like your biceps that are attached to your bones. And you have primary and secondary breathing muscles that are skeletal muscles. And so just like any muscle, your breathing muscles can be weak. They can be strong. They can be tight. They can be overstretched. So you want to, just like you train your legs for the run, you want to train your breathing muscles to be really primed, to be really strong, um, to have mobility through your breathing muscles. There's secondary breathing muscles that are in your neck that help to elevate and depress your ribs as you breathe. This is so incredibly important. And um, so not only will regular breath work tune you to calm, It will deepen your relationship with the present moment, which we know is the essence of the psychology of peak performance in sport. And it will also strengthen your ability to breathe strong. So if you go to um, Yogi Triathlete and you type in the search thing, pre-race pranayama, we have, I think, four exercises there that we give all of our athletes before all of their races. Whether they do them or not, we don't know. What we do know are the ones who do actually reach out to us afterwards. And we have heard things like, these breathing exercises saved my race day. These breathing exercises allowed me to have a race like I've never had before because I was completely in control of my actions throughout the day and my responses to what was coming at me. So highly recommend checking out the pre-race pranayama. Again, life force management. Be in control of your life force. Don't let those waves be in control of your life force. And also, I always like to ask Mother Ocean for uh, to be welcomed, I ask for safe passage, and I and I also remind myself that I am not separate from her. That when I am swimming within her body, that I am her. That I'm going to become one with her. I'm not going to fight her. Um, there's so many other breathing techniques. Diaphragmatic breathing is 
so beneficial for athletes. Another thing that breathing does when we control the breath like this, we slow the breath down. And we know that when we slow the breath down, we're actually getting, I think it's about five and a half breaths per minute has been identified as like the ideal for uh, maximum oxygen absorption. And you're not going to be breathing five and a half breaths per minute when you're out there swimming. But when you're in your jammies before your long ride on Saturday, you can prep your body, your mind, your nervous system in a way where you can begin to take the results and the benefits of these breathing exercises and take them into your training. So again, that's not a foreign thing. Do not wait until race day. Oh my God, please don't wait until race day. Calm is something that has taken me over a decade to really cultivate in my, in my life. So there's a whole bunch of other breathing exercises. Those are plenty right there to get you started. But calm, that's that should be your number one priority at this point, seven weeks out. So I want to dive into these. I just had a, a, a download of things to do that can help prepare you for this swim seven weeks out. So think about seven weeks out. You've got five long rides. You probably have five long runs left. You probably have five big swims. Think about that. Just frame that. So really not a lot. So over the course of the next seven weeks, I highly recommend you look at your schedule and specifically with the swim, because we're talking about the swim, see if there's any pockets of time where you can get more touches in the water. So if you normally swim two times a week and we've got, let's just say six weeks, that's 12 touches in the water. If you can add just one more, you're adding six more touches. You're getting 18 touches. If you can kind of squeeze a fourth one in there, four, you're getting 24 touches of water. So you've almost doubled the time that you've been in the water. So would someone who is nervous or fearful of the swim who is getting to the water 12 times, would they be better familiar, you know, appeasing the mind because it wants to know if you doubled that and got 24 touches in the water, right? Someone who gets 24 touches is really going to have a greater familiarity, whether they are swimming a 120, 100 or a two minute 100. That doesn't matter at all in this instance. It's really about putting yourself in that unfamiliar environment of water. I don't care if it's the ocean or the pool or lake. It doesn't really matter what it is. Um, just getting into that environment. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's that's great because a lot of people don't have access to you know, <clears throat> the beach over here in Oceanside. Uh, so, or they've never swam in, in the ocean before, but that doesn't mean that you won't be successful on race day. Absolutely not. Because we all know 90% is the mind. I always have to, I have to go back to, I have to go back to Claire who lived in Lake Placid, who didn't have a pool leading into Ironman Lake Placid because they don't have one up there. She wasn't able to swim until a month before the actual race. All winter, she was doing breathing, meditating, and doing swim band work. Focused on biking and running, but she did the work mindfully to prepare herself for the swim. And when she was able to get in the water, she did. And she had a fantastic experience. 
I, I have to pull upon that. So Claire, again, <laughs> shout out to you for doing the work and, and making that happen. Yeah, that's a fantastic story. That's like a no, that leaves a no excuses for anyone, you know, or is like, well, my, you don't understand. My pool's an hour away. Well, here's somebody who didn't have a pool and she used swim bands and she trained her mind and she trained her breath. Success. All right. Here's a few things. I, I, I want to touch upon these few things because this is going to bring calm. The, the, the end result of this is calm when the situation becomes heightened. The intensity is high. Deck ups. What are deck ups? Deck ups are when you're in the pool, you are standing on the deck, you're doing 10 jumping jack or 10 seconds of jumping jacks, 10 seconds of jogging in place, getting your heart rate up. If your pool allows it, some pools do, running on the pool deck for 10 seconds and then jumping in the water and swimming a hundred. Nice and easy. Get up out of the pool, pull yourself up out, whether it's the ladder or uh, you know, just literally pulling yourself up um, out of the pool, do it again. And you do this for five to seven times. This is something I learned at Tower 26. Jerry Rodriguez shined the light on this for me. Uh, and it, it's something I incorporate, which actually we're six weeks out, seven weeks out. So we'll start incorporating this into our, our pool sessions. But it gets the heart rate high on land, which we're familiar with. Then you jump into an unfamiliar environment, the water, and you're asked to swim. And you need to swim continuously for 100 while trying to maintain your breath after it gets a little bit of a spike there. And now as you do these over and over, they're going to get more challenging. The intensity stays the same in the pool. It's just a nice, easy cruise at first. But because you're pulling yourself up and out of the pool, you're jogging in place, and then you're jumping back in, the heart rate gets elevated. Same thing that happens when you're swimming with the waves, you duck dive, you come up, you duck dive again, and there's a third one, and your heart rate is high. Same thing you can uh, relate to what you just did in the pool with these deck ups. So that's one. Do you have anything on that before I go ahead? Just, I think it's really important what you just said is that I'm talking about you know calming breath and he, your healing nervous system and all of that. But the thing is, is that when you're up in that surf. Your your heart rate's going to be elevated. You're going to be you're going to be like, okay, well, here comes another one. I got to dive, and so there, it, there's going to be excitement in the air. It's going to be exciting. It's not that if you breathe every morning and you do a relaxing breath that you're just going to be like, oh, you know, um, you're not going to have a heightened heart rate. You're not going to have a heightened excitement throughout your body, and there's not going to be heightened excitement around you. There is. It is practicing being calm within the chaos of what's happening. So that's why you can do it when you're in traffic. You can do it at work. You can do it um, if you're having a, a conflict with your children or your partner, your spouse. You can practice being calm in the midst of a lot of excitement in life. So yes, I'm so glad you brought that up because I'm not saying that you're going to be like super chill and your heart rate's not going to be elevated. It's going to be a very exciting, a very exciting time in your life is getting into this water and getting past the surf at Oceanside. It's going to be very exciting, but you can practice being calm and you can have a connection to calm throughout that excitement. I'm glad that you mentioned fear and excitement because they both come from the same part of the brain. When you experience fear, your brain instructs the body to increase your breathing and heart rate 
dilate your pupils, and make your palms sweaty. Surprisingly though, when you feel excitement, the brain triggers the same physiological reaction. Same thing. So we can choose to be fearful or we can choose to be excited. Your heart rate is gonna be raised in either instance. Um, I think that's pretty important. I have a journal prompt for that that just came in. So I would take out your journal or a napkin or some toilet paper and get out a pen and write fear and all of the things that go along with fear. What do you think fear is? Like, what are the qualities of fear? And then excitement. And then write all of the things that you feel when you're excited and know that the difference between those two things is in the mind. It's how you're labeling what you're feeling. And, and that's funny that my default was just to talk about the excitement of the day. Right. It's a choice. So see how you're labeling it. Bring some yes. awareness to that. Yeah, the words you're using. Um, and this is going to get to my next thing, which is when you're standing in that corral waiting for the swim start, there's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of energy there practice the pre-race pranayama just just mentioned earlier. We'll put a link to it here. Practice, practice that while you're there. It's easy to just join in on the conversation, talk about the water temperature, talk about the waves, talk about how challenging the day is, talk about this is your first. All of those things are not serving you. In that time when you're standing there waiting anywhere from five to like 45 minutes, practice this pre-race pranayama while you're standing in line. It will bring you calm. The other things are probably going to build in anticipation of something that could be um, nerve-wracking for you. So really important there. Okay, I'll go through these quick because I know we want to move on. But uh, another, another thing to do in the pool is fast 100s on short rest like we did today. So we swam like 100 easy, 100 moderate, so maybe race pace, 100 easy, and then you go 100 fast. And you only take 10 seconds rest after that last fast one and you go right back into an easy. So your heart rate is elevated and now you have to swim. The same thing goes for broken 100s. These are one of my favorites. 25 super fast, and then you have to go right into 50 swimming easy, and then you finish 25 fast. So this is like get your heart rate up, keep swimming at 50 nice and easy while your heart rate begins to come down. You're not staying at the end of the wall or at the end of the lane trying to catch your breath. You're actually swimming easy in that 50 to get your work with the heart rate and the breathing to come down. And then you need to elevate it again to finish uh, with a fast 25. Those are those are gold. Um, and then uh, I, the, the other thing um, I wanted to mention because this actually includes calm is a mantra. And this mantra came to me back in Newport, Rhode Island years ago, um, every time one, uh, uh, one side of my arm, arms, <laughs> let's just say my right arm enters the water, I will repeat one word. So I will repeat the word long, strong, calm. So every time my right arm enters the water, I'm saying one of those words and I do it in that order, always ending with calm. And what that does is the mantra shifts your attention away from any nervousness or um, seeing some chaotic energy of the swimmers around you, uh, not being able to see the black line below you, uh, maybe feeling a little bit of a wave 
you know, a current out there. Because once you get past the waves in Oceanside, there's still this energy to get around the jetty there to get back into the harbor. You can use a mantra, and the mantra grounds you in the moment. It's an anchor to the present moment. It's an anchor to the present moment. So again, long, strong, calm. And you can say that for the whole entire swim, and it's not the time to practice that when you're there on race day. Start practicing this in the pool. And it doesn't have to be the mantra. It can be counting. It can be uh, so hum. It can be anything. But it's got to be something simple and something the mind can really um, wrap, its, uh, wrap its arms around. So uh, long, strong, calm is, is a good mantra to use. I like that. You know, we use mantra in yoga in a way to etch positive grooves into the mind. And we know that we can change the brain. We know that the brain has a a quality of neuroplasticity. So like BJ said, mantra grounds you into the present moment. It increases your muscle of concentration. And it etches a positive groove in your mind and also your brain. And the other thing is that it takes you away from those thoughts of anxiousness and fear because those are always about what's going to happen next. They're never about the present moment. So if you're using a tool like a mantra to pull your awareness into the present moment, you will pull yourself away from the thoughts of anxiety and fear because those are not about the present moment. Those are always about what's going to happen next. Okay. Should we move on to our next question? And well, actually, before we do that, uh, Ryan's question was around water entry. So let's give um, let's give a technique. You touched upon it earlier, but how do you get through the surf? Where do you go when the wave is coming at you, and you're like, "That wave is really big." Where do you go? You go under. How you, far under? You reach for the sand. Reach for the sand, and you want to grab like really open up your hands and grab the sand and stay down there for a good three to five seconds. Like really just calmly go down and then you'll feel the wave go up over you and then you pop up. Um, if it's a little bit deeper, you can pop up and um, by putting your feet on the sand and pushing yourself up to the top. Now you come up, expect to see another wave, okay? Expect to see one, just, just keep that as the rule. You're gonna see another one. So you can either swim from that point until the next wave comes and you're going to dive underneath or you're in clear, you know, clear water and you can make your way out. Most often, there'll be at least three waves that come in in a, in a pattern. So you'll, let's just say you're going to dive three times. So you dive under, you grab the sand, you wait five seconds, you pop back up. You see the next wave coming, you take two strokes and then you got to dive under, grab the sand, wait for three to five seconds, pop back up and do it again for a third time. After that, most often you're going to have a little bit of a a gap there. You're going to be able to swim some. The energy of the waves are going to be pulling you back towards shore. So this is why we practice swimming strong, like really pull some water because we got to pull enough water to get us beyond that pull that's bringing us back to shore. So you make a little bit of headway and then you start to see the next flow of waves coming in. You just do the same thing. I am calm. Dive under the wave, grab the sand, come back up. 
Now, there'll be a time, though, where you can actually keep swimming and you'll just ride right over the wave. So how do they discern when to dive and when to keep swimming? You'll see the wave starting to break. Yes. You're going to see the wave starting to break. When you see the wave starting to form, it's starting to take shape of a wave and you're you know, within a relatively close distance, you'll be able to just kind of float over it. Um, and depending on where you are in the, the wave, I'm, I'm talking left or right, so the wave is in front of you and it, it spans left and right of you. Depending on where you are, some people may be able to ride the wave and some people may have to duck the wave. So don't use them as a guide. Always look forward at the wave that's coming in front of you. Um, last year, of course last year, right? Referring to the past, but I think it's helpful that it took a while to get deep beyond where the wave was breaking. So I actually stood up a long way. Well, I think that's what Valerie was talking about in her question. It was like this like double break that you may think you're past it, but then there's a whole other situation happening past that first break where there's other um, where there's other waves breaking. So yeah, race your own race. That's the rule for the whole day. So um, if somebody's right next to you and 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 you know you're at the same, you know, the quality of the wave is the same right in front of you and, and they're ducking under, you know, duck under, but you'll know, you'll know when you can swim over the wave, which is so fun when you drop down the other side. Um, okay. Good. Yeah. In Oceanside, there's also a pole. There was a pole last year. So people would be swimming towards the buoy and they were getting pulled to the right and you have to get around the first big red buoy, which is uh, to the left, I think they were starting to actually added a, a yellow buoy before that, just to say people aim for that because it was really pulling us to the side. So stick to the I always say stick to the outside, stick to the far left at ocean side, and then let the current pull you towards that red that red buoy. And um, Sabrina and her crew are not going to just like let you hang out there, you know, to dry, right? Like they're, they're, if they see that there's a current, but there's going to be somebody, and I know there was somebody last year, like saying like, you know, head for over here. So watch what's going on in front of you for sure. And uh, one more piece before we move on to the bike <laughs> is that, well, you know, it's important to spend time on the swim because if you don't get through the swim, you don't get to the bike um, is I believe the day before the race, and this is uh, unique circumstances. So lucky us who are racing in 2023 is that there is going to be a practice swim. And historically there's not a practice swim the day before, but it's the tri club championship. And there's some wonderful celebratory uh, experiences that are going to be playing out throughout the race weekend. One of them is that Sabrina is going to be um, leading or in charge of a swim, a practice swim. Before the practice swim, BJ and I are going to be leading some breath work. Um, I probably will lead it like the breath work. So you guys will have an experience to really go through this race day recipe and get in the water like it's race day. And this is a really unique, uh, special experience. So look at the athlete guide and all the things about it and uh, so that you're you know, you're planning on coming to that. That's going to be very important. It doesn't matter if your in-laws are in town and they want to have breakfast with you. This is so, so important. Get to the swim. So this is Friday morning, the day before the race. It's a Saturday race. So Friday morning. Um, and most likely it will take place by the pier. 
So watch our uh, watch our uh, social media handle Yogi Triathlete, and we will post exactly where the meetup is, um, and what time it is, and uh, and all the details for that. But strongly, like Jess said, strongly recommend. Please make time for this. Make time for it. Yeah, super important. Okay, now we are for real, for reals, moving on to the bike, and we have fabulous question from Coach Daniel, Coach D here at Yogi Triathlete. What he wants us to address is um, these two questions. What he hears most about Oside, the 70.3, other than the waves, <laughs> is the dreaded hill on base. What's the best training approach for a steep hill like this that comes at 40 plus miles into the race, particularly if they have minimal training outside because of weather since Oceanside's an early season race? So let's talk about the hill prep. And then there's another question about the bike. And um, yeah, let's stay with this. Yeah, so the hill there, I've done it. I've done it before. It's steep, but it's not like any other hill. That, what do you think the pitch is? I don't know. I don't know. 8%, 10%. Okay. So it's a little spicy. And it's not s- super long. Uh, it is longer than uh, your ordinary hill. But again, it's just the hill. Um, yeah, it comes at, I don't know, how long did they say? He said 40 plus so, miles. So, okay. So 40 miles. So, so how to prepare for something like this? Uh, you don't have access to hills outside. Great. And it's the winter for most people. So they can't get outside. What do you do inside? Get on the trainer. Most often you're riding the trainer and you got to do over gear work. You got to do a low cadence, um, interval, where your cadence is like 55 to 65, depending on you know, the health of your knees and how often you've been doing these. Uh, and you're going to do uh, intervals of them. So start with like six times two minutes at a low cadence, at a nice, reasonably good effort, like 85% of your FTP, I think would be a good, a good sweet spot to do that. Uh, but adjust as needed, right? Everybody's at a different place. So please don't take this as this is what you have to do. Uh, build into it. Um, and I would do those at least once a week between now and Oceanside, if not a little bit more often. So to do that also at the um, near the end of the bike ride, you want to, on your training rides, you know, go out and ride for two hours. Go out and ride for two hours and then incorporate this low cadence work. And if you can build up to sustain four to six minutes at a time, even better. Like that, the longer you can put yourself in that low cadence, the more muscular endurance you will build. So the ability to hold that power as you go up the hill and not have it be um, not have it be a detriment to your performance in the late stages of the bike and into the into the run. So be diligent about the hill. You want to be strong. Uh, another thing I like to do for my athletes is if if they're riding indoors a lot, it's hop off the bike after 15 minutes and do two times one minute wall sits uh, on 30 seconds just standing there and then hop back on the bike. So a wall sit is you're up against the wall like you're sitting in a chair and you're letting the legs burn. Uh, and then once you get really good at that, Uh, for an hour ride. So you're doing it four times. So that's eight minutes. When you get off the bike, you're finished with your bike. You do one wall sit to max. So you just wait until your legs are shaking and you can't hold it any longer. And I want to say, Claire, 
Let's reference Claire again. I think she's done five or six minutes. I think she's got the Yogi Trail yeah, record. record. I don't think anybody's come not close that, to touching her. Not that you're going for a record, but um, it's important to, to practice these things. And but again, we are it's, competitors. We are competitors. It's important to get the strength in there and the ability to, to do that late in a ride. It's easy to hop on the bike, do 15 minutes warm up, and then jump into these low cadence um, sessions. But put it, put it towards the end. Put it towards the end of your ride. That would be very similar to uh, to Oceanside. And guys, there's plenty of hills before the big hill uh, in Oceanside. So yeah, it's the big one, but there's plenty building into that one. And we just had um, a coffee date with Sabrina and her husband, Matt, and their new baby, Charlie. And a couple of words that I remember uh, Sabrina saying was like, it's a legit bike course. Like it's a legit bike course. So it's not just the, the hill. Um, I'd also watch your mindset about the hill. And, uh, you know, when D sent that question, he put in quotes, the dreaded hill. And I can kind of like feel his like, oh my God, why do people call it the dreaded hill? That's not helpful. The dreaded hill. How is that helpful? How is calling something the dreaded hill going to help you. It doesn't help you. I was just thinking. Maybe the hill is dreading you. I was was biking up it last year and somebody rode by me and said, is this the hill? (laughs) Is this the big hill? So there's like all this talk about the hill. On the course. I'm like, yeah, this is a hill. (laughs) Oh, you didn't even know that there were No, I'm like, there there are plenty of hills. So watch, your words are powerful. Words are powerful. Words are things. Thoughts are things. They're things. They're affecting how your life is playing out. Nobody told us how, how much say we have in how our life plays out. Words are one of those. So if you're calling it the dreaded hill and you just want some extra suck and suffering that day, then keep it. If you're looking for a little more ease and power in your life, then I would seriously look at what the opposite of the word dreaded is and start calling it that and etch some positive grooves into your mind for the experience ahead. Okay. I, those are great, great, great uh, suggestions, Beach. I think the wall sits, I've been, I've been privy to all of these workouts. Uh, and then also doing that stuff later on in the race, huge. I mean, in, the, in your training, huge. Okay. Second part of Dee's question. Secondly, the chatter about... <laughs> the chatter... I just know him so well. The chatter, which I know D loves chatter. The chatter about the hill stems from the fact that it's on a military base and even a local athlete can't preview it either by bike or car. So how do you prepare for this hill? It's like the hill of hills. Like I think we're building, I haven't seen this hill. I haven't done this bike course, but- You um, have done Pure Vita Cycling Challenge. I have done the Pure Vita Cycling Challenge. Um but so how do people pre- prepare for this unknown of this hill that's just like waiting out there for us? It's like the hill's out there with its calendar and it's like less than seven weeks and they'll be coming. So you're listening to this podcast. I would hit the, the, the 15 second button to go back about five or six times and listen to exactly what I just shared about how to prepare for the hill late in the bike ride. So good. Yay. Yeah, it's not, we don't need to overcomplicate it. Like you've got the tools. Look at the words, 
Look at the thoughts that you have about this hill, which I can't wait to see this hill. I'm so excited about this hill. And that can really speak to it from experience because it's unknown for me right now too. Um, but I've seen a lot of hills in my life and um, literally and figuratively, I have climbed many, many hills in my life. And, um, and so have you. So has everybody who's listening to this. And, you know, if, if it's really something that's like, I can't, it's not just as simple as changing the word. Like I'm, it's really got a hold on me, you know, um, then write, get your journal out and write about what's the worst case scenario about this hill. Just start to disempower what's fueling this thing that perhaps we don't feel like we can get out of. And if you're not riding hills, ride hills. If you're not riding hills because you want your Strava on the weekends to look like you, you rode 100 miles and it was, you know, you averaged 20.6 miles per hour and that's what you want to average on race day, look at that. If you keep it simple, okay, keep it really simple. If you want to climb these hills strong, go start climbing hills. Doesn't matter. Uh, one thing I don't have on my computer is, you know, speed or or distance really. I don't look at those things um, or my average pace. It's just go climb. I like to see elevation uh, on my bike computer uh, at the end when I'm finished. So the point here is you want to get strong on the hills, go ride hills. Yeah. If you can get outside and you can ride hills, you better be on those hills. If you don't have hills and you can't ride outside because you're in the polar, polar vortex, then get on the trainer and and um, and do some and really focus down on those on those workouts for sure. Yeah, watch yourself getting too caught up in like I need to know what the hill looks like and what the pitch is and how long it is so I can go mimic that. That'd be great. That's awesome. Cool. Totally dig it. But at the essence, just go climb a hill and do it over and over again. That's super basic, super simple, and you'll be prepared for ocean. Yeah. And the only certainty in this life is uncertainty. So the more we can lean into the unknown with a, with a calm, in a calm state of being and a calm mind, the unknown is just like, I don't know, it's just like any other day of the week. Okay. Moving on. So good. I love all these questions. I hope, uh, I can't I wait hope you guys see. are pulling some stuff out of this. I can't I, wait I'm to see the hill. Pulling some stuff out of this. You know the hill. What I've already forgotten about it though. I don't even, I'm just, it's already. I can't wait to see the hill. Don't don't take that from me. <laughs> Next question is from Jeanette. Jeanette was crushing it in the pool today. I always love when she joins us for our team swim. Okay, she has a question about the run beach. Do you walk or run the pier ramps and the up and down blocks from the beach to street level? Because this is pretty unrelenting. Legit bike course, legit swim, legit run. So you've got some experience on this. I have a little bit of experience because we, you know, we do get to train over there. We haven't yet this year, but I'm assuming you're going to have us getting over there pretty soon. What, uh, what's your advice on race day for that? Uh, run some hills, <laughs> run up, run down hills quite often. Uh, again, don't worry about what your average pace is. The, the work is in... The work is in running up a hill and feeling strong running up the hill, right? And then your heart, let's go back to what we're talking about with the swim. Like your heart rate is going to be elevated when you get to the top of this hill. Then it's going to be flat and then you have to go down. So it's about regulating that 
that uh, lack of oxygen because you know you're you pushed it up the hill. So at the at the base level, to answer to Jeanette's question is you run up the hill and you run down because that's what you've been doing in training. If you haven't done it in training, yes, you may want to consider walking up the hill strong because it is a steep hill, especially up the pier, and um, and running the downs. The running the downs should be okay, but this shouldn't be um, a mystery to athletes. This is a hilly course. They say you know it's a it's a fast course, and it is. There's a lot of flat, but there's steep, short ups and downs along the way. So practice running hills, and you should be you should. <laughs> it's important to incorporate hills into your weekly training. It's something I strongly believe in, firmly believe in. Why it just makes you stronger and. How does it make you stronger? It lets your legs adapt to the pitch of running up and then the pounding of you running down that hill. But it does another thing. It, it, it actually like builds a nice little cushion around your mind that, that, that you can run up hills. Like it, it kind of supports this belief that you can do it. Like you can run up the hills because you have been running up the hills. And something I came to realization at when I think it was Oceanside, uh, St. George, I can't remember which race, but I had said, I've been running all these hills. I might as well run the hills on race day. Why am I, take, why am I backing off running up a hill or down a hill? I practice hills in my training. So when I decided and I made that conscious choice, I run all hills, run up and run down. And I recommend that for my athletes because they're all doing hill repeats in some form. So it really prepares the legs to, to push, to get up, and then the pounding to come down. Uh, there's one hill by the seabird, um, which I just, we position ourselves there. It's like, it's that turn before, if you're going out on your second lap, you're either going up the hill again. Is that Wisconsin? It could be. Mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's right by the seabird. seabird. Yep or where the Top Gun house used to be. Yes. So you run up that hill for the second loop or you go straight and that will bring you into the finish. So when you go do that second loop, you go up that hill again, or for the first time, you go up that one, you've already come down it, and you go out and do another twisty turnaround, you go up the pier and then down the pier and then um, you're up by the seabird and then you have to come down that same hill. That to me is when you really begin to pick up a lot of momentum and your legs, that is when it's going to be, your legs are going to be tested. It's because you can carry a lot of momentum down that hill into the strand, which is super flat. It's nice little, I don't know, half mile, three quarters of a mile before you need to go up the next little hill to Pacific. So um, yeah, practice, practice hills and you can definitely run these hills. You can definitely run these hills, but but in your training, at least once a week, if not twice a week, add in hill reps. Anywhere between 30 and 60 seconds would be, would be completely fine. And would you say adding in these hill reps towards the beginning of your run and at the end of your run, would that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you're just starting to incorporate hills into your training, I would just keep it keep one one set of repetitions 5 to 8 reps of 30 seconds but as you progress absolutely and this is something i like to do with my athletes is uh, as they progress you do repeats of a minute up a hill easy down the hill 
and then fast up, uh, away from the hill for a minute and then easy back to the base of the hill and then repeat that. I used to do these in Newport. Lucho, who was my, my coach, would give me these up Memorial Boulevard. I'd run up Memorial for a minute really fast, easy back down, and then run along the beach, um, that road right there for a minute, and then easy back. And then I would do six to 10 repeats of that. That's really going to be uh, similar to what you'll experience at Oceanside. And build into it. Yeah, like, th- yes, <laughs> yes. So please. there's self-regulation here, people. Um, yesterday I was doing some hills in the lagoon and just really starting back with like some hill repeats as I was in bike camp for two months and I felt so good. And I was like, I just kept them all easy because I was thinking like, okay, I'm going to go like the first one felt good. And I was like, all right, then I'm going to go moderate. Then I'm going to go mad. And then I'm going to go like, all. and I was like, no, don't, no, don't do that because you want to run tomorrow. And even though you feel good right now, just self-regulate. So I had the impulse to blow it out, but I didn't. And I felt, I felt good today and was able to get another run in. So yeah, build into it. Talk to your coach. Yeah, so, so I'm so glad you said that because I don't know if I'm saying this clearly. I'm, I'm, I kind of reference myself a lot or the athletes that I know have progressed. But if you're starting these out, 15 seconds, 20 seconds up a hill is plenty. And you do like four to five reps and that's plenty. You want to be able to run the next day as just stated. You don't want to get to the point where that workout of running up and possibly you can't hold yourself back so you ran down as well has an impact on the way that your legs feel for that next session the next day. Because training is all about building a load on the body consistently, not pushing it to the point of not being able to get out there and, and do it again the next day. And if you can't run the next day, then what did you? What kind of information did you just receive? You went way too hard. <laughs> <laughs> and we've all been there. And we've I all it. been there, dude. But totally. learn from it. Learn, learn, learn <laughs> from these situations. All right. And then um, final question from James, which is James is on the team. And um, his question about Oceanside is, what will we do together as a team in the days leading up to April 1st? Will it be similar to Santa Cruz as far as getting together and doing those kind of shakeout rides and runs? And of course, it's always shakeout coffees as well because that's a necessity and you could also drink tea. Um, so what's the answer to that question, Beach? Yeah, I definitely will be doing some some training and uh, absolutely some coffee. There's plenty of coffee shops from here all the way to Oceanside. We know quite a few of them. So we'll definitely be getting in the ocean. You know, the, the days of Wednesday and Thursday before the race, we'll probably get in the ocean right here at the end of our street in Carlsbad. Uh, we can jump in the ocean and we can use, you know, this as a, as a home base, which is, which is great. Um, similar conditions to what they'll experience in Oceanside because it's literally three miles up the road. Um, so we'll be swimming here. We'll definitely be biking the run course. Uh, it's something I really encourage all athletes to do, get out there and, and experience what that that run course is. Um, and if you get into town early enough, I would say go run a loop of the of the run course. It's only six, you know, six miles. Um, but we'll be and then we'll be running on the run course for sure. Uh, and then um, maybe biking out on the San Luis Ray. Uh, bike path, kind of get some intervals in to familiarize ourselves with getting in that position, the TT position, 
uh, feeling some wind, which I think is going to be important, which you always get on the San Luis Rey Trail. The last six to 10 miles of the Oceanside course most likely will be windy. We think you're home, you know, you're on the home stretch. There can be some strong winds there coming in off the base. Oh my God. Yeah. That wind can be mm. like just so there's another piece of your calm where you're calm. If you're training this calm muscle where that will show up for you because yeah, heading back towards the ocean, it's, uh, my experience, 100% of the time, you get wind on the way back in. So, um, and don't fight it. Let it, I, I have a visualization that I use where I don't think about the wind, like me going against the wind. I think about the wind moving right through my body, like coming through my brain, like coming through my throat, coming like through the front of my heart, out the back of my heart, through my belly, through my quads, out my hamstrings. I just imagine it's just moving through me and that alleviates the fight. Um, so if you're on team Yogi triathlete, we'll create, you know, like we typically do, we'll create an, a WhatsApp group. And so we'll all be in touch throughout the weekend. It's such an amazing way to connect with your teammates. Cause we got people coming in from the East coast and Northern California and all over the place. So that's great. If you, um, are interested in experiencing what our community feels like, and maybe you've been thinking like, oh, you know, maybe someday I'll train with them or whatever. Just let us know. And we're going to put, we'll, we'll reach out to you. We'll let you know when we're going to do these things. Come and be a part of it. We absolutely, um, our goal from the beginning has been to be inclusive. So if this is something you're interested in experiencing and meeting some people on the team, let us know. We'd love to have you be a part of it. And, and I know that the team would love to have you as well, because that's just who they are. And the next day after Oceanside is the Carlsbad 5000, which, because you just said inclusion, and we had our youngest member of the team, 11-year-old Luca, come out to camp on one day, and he's going to be running the 5K on Sunday, April 2nd. So if you guys are here in town, you got family, and they've been spectating, and and maybe they want to participate in something, on Sunday is the Carlsbad 5000. So they have a 5K and they have an all-day 5K, which is five. A 20K. So four 5Ks. Um, Luca and I are going to run. I'm going to run with Luca. Yes, I'm going to run with Luca. Um, so we'll be doing that in the morning on Sunday. If you are not interested in running, but just want to come out and support and cheer on Luca, I know he would absolutely love it. He is so um, loved by our community and he's a, a bright um, shining soul, and it would be so cool. He's 11 years old. I ran it with him last year. We did 23 and change, and he just ran a 5K in 21. So he wants to get into the low 20s uh, for the Carlsbad. So, yeah, something to think about. I just want to touch upon some notes because I know you want to wrap this up, but just some things to remember for Oceanside. Okay, take take note of these. The transition zone to the finish line is it's about one mile. So there's some shuttles that bring you from where you parked more towards the finish and they bring you down to the harbor. If you just walk it in the morning, it's a mile. It's not that far. It's a nice time to kind of be with yourself, um, breathe, find calm as we were talked about. But also when you're finished the race at the finish line and you got to walk back and get your bike, it's really only 
a mile and you can bike back to wherever your car is. So keep that in mind, people. Um, there is a no passing zone on the bike course and a speed zone. And we know people that have gotten disqualified because of this. And you don't get, to, you don't get notified of being disqualified until you finish the race. Which is so awesome. That is so, just the best. <laughs> no speeding, no passing zone is on Bastalone Road. It's about 39 and a half miles. Speed limit must be 25 miles per hour or less as an average. Um, there are signs and tape across the road at the top and the bottom of the speed zone. There will be a one-speed trailer in the middle of the section, but do not assume it is tracking each person individually. What does that mean? Heads up, take ownership of your speed. Don't look at other riders, look down at your speedometer or your speed on your bike and keep it under 25. I would keep it at 20. Uh, and if you don't have one of those, just go really, really slow. It, it will add a few seconds to your time. It's not worth it to be disqualified. Um, uh, failure to comply will be an automatic disqualification. Another thing different about this race, you need to wear your bib on the bike because you're on the the military base, it's required uh, for a, for identification on the base and state park. So super important. You got to wear the bike. You get wear the number um, on your bike. Uh, two more things. I highly recommend you get into the corral for the swim early. It fills up pretty quickly. So get down there. Get in the corral in your time area. Um, once that fills up, it's very narrow, and to try to squeeze yourself in or to hop over the metal barriers. It's not ideal. Yeah, people do that. And final thing, the transition is um, set up so that everybody runs the same distance. So when you get out of the water, you're running along this long transition zone along the harbor and you can come all the way back inside transition zone to your bike. When you head out on your bike, you head out, you come back in, you're going along the same path that you ran in off the swim. So you're biking in this nice narrow section, I want to say it's only about four or five feet wide. You got to bike that all the length of the transition until you get to the dismount zone, which is at the furthest end of transition. And then you walk your bike into where you need to rack it. So keep those things in, in mind. Those are, I think, the important uh, pieces there. Oh, one last thing. Goggles, highly recommend. Clear, because it's a very early swim start. And most often, it's very cloudy in the morning may burn off to sun later on, but I would say clear goggles. And would, should they have like a backup just in case like the sun is blaring? What I have a pair recommend? of smoke goggles and clear goggles with me smoke at all times. and clear. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to, I'm going to wrap this thing up with two things. One, go to awakeathlete.com. I have a 35 or 38 minute guided meditation for long course triathlon for anything over Olympic. And it is very detailed. So it's really easy. If you're like, whoa, that's way too long. It's really easy for the mind to stay in the meditation that long because I'm so detailed in this guided meditation. There's no detail left undone. And a massive focus of this guided meditation is calm. So go to awakeathlete.com. You'll see meditations there. And that one is on that page. Also, there's 30-minute mellow moves classes, which are just super mellow um, flows with meditation. This is another tool for you guys, free to you, that you can use to begin to tune yourself to calmness 
and also increase mobility in your body. So that's not a bad thing. Okay. And then I'm going to finish up with the sage wisdom of Sabrina Houston, Ironman 70.3 Oceanside race director. Um, her first response when I asked her if she would like to give any advice was, that's so exciting. She was very excited that we're doing this podcast. Um, thank you, Sabrina. That is a perfect choice of words. So she says, I would say my piece of advice is something to the line of calm is strong. Take the day as it comes. Keep calm. Even if something is going wrong or you feel a bit panicked, just remain calm and keep moving forward. It's a tough, honest course. So let it be challenging, but make sure to enjoy it. Yeah, I'm glad she said that last piece because it is quite breathtakingly beautiful out on that base. And with all the rain that we've gotten, it's going to be tough not to look to the left or right and see those green mountains and yellow flowers. It's quite beautiful. Awesome. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If there was anything that we didn't answer for you, send it in. We are, we are here. We are in service. Let us know how we can help set you up for success on race day. Oh,